looking at the story of Elijah. I've written here in my notes the beginning of Psalm 145, which says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. How important is it that as one generation we commend who God is to another? And how we encourage one another with God's mighty acts. It's so important to encourage one another with testimony. Love, acceptance and healing is a great opportunity for that midweek to hear testimony of what God's doing in people's lives. But what I I really like about this series that we're doing at the moment is that opportunity to look at some of these great stories from the Bible that tell of God's mighty acts that tell of the great things he'd done. And uh, when I started to look at the story of Elijah, which was just the one I wanted to do, there's so much to the story in terms of what happens and the kind of aftermath to the story. Um, I said to Ben, you know, I really think I'd like to do this over two weeks um, so as to just not rush, but just kind of really focus in on some of the key points here. Um, And graciously, he said that was fine. Um, So this morning, we're going to start with part one, primarily from chapter 18, and then next week I'm going to do the aftermath of the story and what goes on after there. Um, I thought it'd be really good that you didn't have to just listen to my voice for the next half an hour. So I asked in the week David Morgan to come and read this amazing story to us. So, David, if you'd like to come out, he asked me if he could do it in the New King James. I knew you'd like that. Um, So, just while David's coming up, I just want to um, set in context um, that first verse from chapter 17, which you can see on here, which um, is just a kind of summary of of where we're at. Um, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So that's the kind of backstory at the beginning of chapter 17. There's another story we're not going to cover today, and David's going to read to us from chapter 18 through to verse 41. Hallelujah. Starting at verse 1. And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went. So Elijah went. Sorry. And Elijah said, I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. And Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for it was while 
Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave, and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land in all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the, <coughs> the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. So they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him. And he recognized him and fell on his feet and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, It is I. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. So he said, How have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of, Elijah, of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord our God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he is not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here, and it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from you, the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab, and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? How I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets by 50 in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah is here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who sit at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel and Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls, and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, and put no fire under. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, 
but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on, <coughs> on the name of the Lord and the God of who answers by fire. He is God. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. And call on the name of your God and put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a great God. <clears throat> Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, <coughs> or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering of evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he <coughs> repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around about the altar, large enough to hold two seers of seed. <coughs> and he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood and said, Fill your water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, Lord God of Abram, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, <coughs> and that I have, have done all these things at your word. Hear him, O Lord. Hear me that the people may know that you are the Lord and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up all the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought him down to the brook Kishon, 
and executed them there. Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. Amen. Amen. Thank you, David. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for these amazing truths that we can share together. Father, I just pray in the time that we have now, Lord, that we will truly receive from you. Give us ears to hear, hearts to receive what you want to say to us. To the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow, what a great story. And it's a well-known story, but it's good to remind ourselves of the wonderful truths of who God is and what God has done. So to set it in context, this story is, comes from within Kings, the books of Kings. And um, the books of Kings is, is quite a challenging book, book, two books together to read in a way. Um, so it actually begins at the time of Samuel where the people of Israel said that they wanted a king. They wanted to be like the other nations around them and have a king. And uh, the Lord said to the prophet Samuel, they have rejected me as their king. And it broke God's heart to see that. But they wanted to be like the other nations and they wanted to have a king. So beginning in the book of Samuel, we see Saul is first made king. And we know that that doesn't go terribly well. We then have David, a man after God's own heart, although there are certainly challenges with him. And then after David, there comes Solomon. And uh, sadly, Solomon, despite his wisdom, he goes his own way. He follows after other gods, led astray by his many, many wives. And um, when the book of Kings begins, the kingdom of God is divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. And you can see from the list here that in total we have 39 kings of Israel and Judah. Four kings from that list are described as good. There are five kings who are highlighted as being good on the one half but bad on the other, leaving a total of 30 kings who are bad. And uh, I've put that picture up because it kind of reads like a giant game of snakes and ladders. You follow the tribes going along, and uh, whenever they hit a good king, they can go up a bit and things go well, but it's not too long before they hit a snake and come back down again. And there are way more snakes than there are ladders. Um, this is a list, you probably can't see it very clearly here, but if you have a look on the website, this will go on. This is the detail of all the different kings that there are. And it's in the middle of this story that we come across Elijah, who is, this whole story is like a beacon of light, really, in a book that's full of stories of people being unfaithful to God, following out evil practices and going their own way. Here we see a real hope in Elijah and this fantastic story amongst others about him. So who is Elijah? Elijah itself means the Lord is my God. What a great name. The Lord is my God. And we know from Kings that he was a prophet, that he was a worker of miracles, healings, raising from the dead. Um, we know he didn't actually die, but was taken up to heaven in a chariot. Um, his return was prophesied in Malachi. And uh, even today amongst Jewish culture, a place is set 
for Elijah at many meals for him to return. But his return wasn't quite how people expected, as often is the case. And in Matthew 11 there, you can see that Jesus says of John the Baptist, if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. He appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, along with Moses. And uh, this, I have to say, is probably my favorite quote on Elijah. This is from James. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Elijah was a man just like us. And yet we can see this tremendous thing that he achieved from the Lord. And certainly next week when we look at the aftermath of the story, you very much see the humanity um, of Elijah. So the story begins in the third year. And prior to this, Elijah has been in hiding. And he is waiting for that moment where God has called him forth. And uh, reading the story of this encounter with Obadiah, I don't know about you, but it reminds me of the story of when Saul, who became Paul, um, has been uh, encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's made blind. And God speaks to Ananias to tell him to go to Paul, to lay hands on him, and he'll receive his sight. And Ananias is like, what? You're kidding me. Don't you know he's killing everybody? I'm going to die if I go to him. And I think here we kind of get a similar sense from Obadiah. Um, he's reluctant to go and tell Ahab that Elijah's appeared because he sees that his own life could soon be very quickly disappearing um, because he doesn't uh, know if this is actually going to happen or not. And it's interesting that it's not Elijah um, that Obadiah doubts, but he's obviously seen in Elijah's life that God can take him and move him wherever. And uh, the fact that he talks about he doesn't know where the spirit of the Lord may take him makes you wonder what else happened that we don't know about. We know the spirit of the Lord took him up to heaven and he didn't die. So Obadiah obviously had some experiences of Elijah where he expected the unexpected. But Elijah assures him that he will truly present himself to Ahab, as we have heard. And... Um, Obadiah is required to really trust God here, and trusting God is so foundational, really, to this whole story. So we then have what is kind of like the ultimate showdown, don't we? This dramatic scene on uh, Mount Carmel. And I think if Sky Sports were covering it, it would be one of those ones that you have to pay extra to view. You know they do that, don't they, sometimes? I don't have Sky Sports. My mother does. Um, but I know that you, sometimes they put a big boxing match or something like that on, and you have to pay extra to view it. This is such an occasion. This is a big deal. And um, so he challenges um, the prophets of Baal to a duel with God. It's extraordinary, really. This is what he does. And for me, this is the key verse in that challenge. He goes before the people. This is from the NIV, this uh, particular translation. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. How long will you waver between two opinions? I think it said, how long will you falter between two opinions in the um, translation that David read from? Who are you believing? Who are you believing in? 
Now, Baal was a god, in inverted commas, who was worshipped as a sun god, a storm god, a fertility god, um, worshipped by the Canaanites and the Phoenicians, and worship of Baal infiltrated Jewish worship, especially at this time of Ahab, but in other times as well. And we know this is totally contrary to what the Lord said. You can see here that quote from Deuteronomy, fear the Lord your God and serve him only. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. This has been the story of Israel throughout the book of Kings. And I think with our Western kind of scientific age mindset, we can look at a, a sun god, a storm god, and fertility god and think, gosh, that's such nonsense that they would worship someone who they think can do this for them. In um, Isaiah 44, we haven't got time to go through the detail, but um, Isaiah talks uh, from the Lord about just the nonsense of creating something and call, calling it a god. And he talks about a carpenter shaping something in human form and putting it in a shrine. And how, um, on the one hand, he's warming himself by the fire um, with wood, and then he's making it into a god, and he's worshipping it. How ridiculous is that? Isaiah is saying, and the Lord is saying to his people. And I think we can look at that and think, gosh, yes, how ridiculous is that? Turning it into something and worshipping it. But actually, I think sometimes we can kid ourselves if we, if we think that we don't have idolatry. But it just comes in different ways. It comes in different forms. Um, we may not have the gods of wood and metal in the way that they did. Although I must say, I remember many years ago, I used to get the bus into Birmingham. And um, I used to go past a house and pretty much every day, I would see a guy on his, on his driveway polishing his BMW every day and think, do you know, I think there are still some gods of metal around. But you know, an idol is something that we put our trust and faith in other than God. And that can be anything. And we may not worship a statue but actually, it's very easy to put our faith and hope and trust in what we have in the bank, what our pension is, in the doctor and what they can do. None of these things are bad in themselves, but actually, if that is where our hope is, above God, then that's idolatry. And I think we're just perhaps a bit more sophisticated, in inverted commas, in where where we can put our worship, what we can look to, to help us and to save us. You know, we're in the middle of Brexit, as I'm sure we're all very, very aware of, but I'm not putting my hope in the Commons vote next week. I'm putting my hope in God. And I know, amen, good. And I know that's the same for us. Our hope is in something else, something other. But, you know, I think one of the biggest conflicts to uh, our faith can sometimes be our own intellect. If we can't figure it out, then maybe it's not right. We can put our own views and ideas above what the Lord says. And there's so much that we don't understand and know. You know, his ways are higher than our ways. 
His thoughts are above our thoughts. And just because it may not make sense to us does not mean that it isn't the word of the Lord. Because so much of what we see in the story of Elijah in the natural makes no sense at all. What happened makes no sense at all. But God is God. God is God and we are not. And in our scientific age, and especially as we can often be so driven by feelings, what's good to me, it feels good to me, therefore it's right. Oh my goodness me. That can so lead us down a wrong path. Scripture says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I hear the sound of heavy rain amongst us. Trust in the Lord, lean not on your own understanding. That literally means do not let your understanding be the thing that supports you. That's what it literally means. Do not put your weight on your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, We had a discussion about the song Cornerstone um, the, uh, a few days ago, I was with uh, Craig and Ben and Dave. Um, it was on the list for this morning, but we didn't get time. Um, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy trust in Jesus' name. Craig was saying to me, what does that actually mean? We sing that, but what does that actually mean? And the truth of it is, we don't really know. Um, this, even though it's a modern Hillsong song, was taken from a hymn that was written in 1837. So it doesn't come with an explanation. But to me, when I read it, I think a frame is a supporting structure. And I'm singing, no matter how good and nice and lovely that supporting structure may look, I wholly trust in Jesus' name. That's how I see it. So I don't know if anyone else has been confused by that song, but maybe when you um, sing it again, you can think of that. We're not trusting in the external supports. We're putting our trust in the name of Jesus. How long will you waver between two opinions? And I I just felt this morning for us, and time is rapidly disappearing, so I might might have to overrun a little bit, Sally, if that's all right. Sharp intake of breath from Sally, which means, of course, it's fine. Um, I did feel that for some of us this morning, as I maybe have shared that, I know I'm going at quite a pace, but there are things that we are putting our hope and trust in above God. There are things that we are leaning on for support that aren't him. And it's good to be challenged on these things. Ben gave that word about that narrow path that we can't make bigger. And often it's things that in themselves aren't wrong, but it's where our hope is. It's, it's where our attitude towards it is. And I think sometimes we can waver. And this is a question for all of us. How long will we waver between two opinions? Are we really in faith here? It's a good question to ask ourselves. Sometimes we need to step up, I think, step up and be counted. So we have our big showdown, as David has read to us. Elijah sets out the challenge, and the uh, prophets of Baal respond in their way, doing their thing, and nothing happens. Elijah is obviously quite enjoying um, what happens with them. And then it comes to his turn. And there's a couple of important things, I think, for us here in this story. 
First of all, before Elijah performs, does this amazing thing where God comes and reveals himself, he rebuilds the altar which has been destroyed. And I feel that, you know, whenever we're stepping out in faith, it's so important that our foundations are right, that we've got the right foundations in place. And it, it saddened me over years. I've seen, I've seen church plants fail, relationships be broken down because they weren't established on the right foundations. And here, Elijah repairs the altar so that the foundations are right for what God is going to do. So after he's prepared the altar, we then have the water that arrives. And um, in the same way that there are 12 stones, there are 12 large jars of water, if you look at it, four jars three times, are poured onto the altar. And um, I kind of used to think that the water was kind of like the icing on the cake. It's impressive enough that fire just descends from heaven. But the fact that fire licks up water, which of course is totally contrary to what it does in the natural, I just used to think, oh, that's just a bit of an extra. That's just really kind of showing off. That's just making it look even more amazing. But actually, if you think about this, we are in year three of a severe drought. It has not rained for three years. The story before that we didn't look at, we see several places where the brooks have dried up. You know, to put water on this altar would have been costly. It would have been tremendously costly. And for us, if we are stepping out in faith, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us. That cost will be different for everyone. But there is a cost to standing on God's word, to standing on who he says he is. And we see that here in this story of Elijah, who we know answers by fire. There's a cost for us stepping out in faith at times. And for, I don't think many of us will be called to perform a miracle like this. <laughs> I can't imagine that God is going to call many of us to something like this. We know that Elijah says that he's done everything that God has asked him to do. This is a clear instruction from God that Elijah is following here. And for all of us, there'll be different things. There'll be different ways where God wants us to step out in faith. There will be different conversations that each of us will have. There'll be different demonstrations of God's power that he will want us to exercise. It may be that he just wants you to take a loaf of bread round to the next door neighbor, or it may be that he wants you to pray for someone on the street who you can see is walking with a limp. It could happen in a variety of different ways, but we need to be ready. We need to be ready, and we need to be willing to step out to whatever God has called us to do. So this morning, how long will we waver between two opinions? That 
for me, is a key scripture I want us to perhaps go away and think about. But also pray for those opportunities where we need to step out in faith, where we need to do something, where we know we've had that nudge from God. Okay, I'm mindful of the time. I'm going to finish it there. Um, because we are going to go on and look at the rest of this story next week. Um, But David, can you get the video lined up? Is that okay? I wanted to finish with this as an encouraging story.